Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, Thomas McKee at Payne Transportation as we continue to talk about the trucking industry. Karen Chimmy will join us from the Canadian Centre for Child Protection after the tragic end to this Amber Alert. And Melissa Garlick will be here. She will tell us about her experience at St. Bonavis Hospital as we encourage you to buy tickets in the St. B Mega Million Choices Lottery. Just go to stbmegamillionchoices.ca. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. We're going to continue our conversation which began yesterday with delays at MPI. People were having a hard time getting through to MPI on the phone. Well, it turns out it's because, or one of the reasons is, a lot of people trying to book uh, road tests for their Class 1 license. And then yesterday we talked to Terry Shaw at Manitoba Trucking. Well, now joining us here at the top of the show today, Thomas McKee. He is the Vice President of Driver Services at Payne Transportation. Thomas, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. Thank you very much for doing this. So um, we're just wanting to talk a little more about the trucking industry here in the province of Manitoba. You guys at Payne do things a little differently. Explain your model. Um, well, the model at Payne is, is predominantly owner-operator. Um, so we're, we're basically, our standard is, is set at a two-year minimum um, over-the-road experience with U.S. experience crossing the border. That's a requirement before we can even uh, move forward with, with any applicant. So it's, we're not a training school. Um, we're, we're an owner-operator model, so um, people that are drivers that are looking to join us, if uh, they're looking for a company, join, a cup, a company opportunity, we, we can't really facilitate that right now. But if they're coming with a truck and they're a business, they're, they're a business now, we, we have work for them. And you were telling me this morning, very little turnover at Payne because you yeah. know you're getting good drivers, experienced drivers. They're ready to do what you want them to do as far as crossing the border and going to, say, yeah. Florida. So, I mean, you're really confident about your drivers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, we lean heavily on uh, referral bonus uh, at Payne Transportation. We do a, we do a little bit of social media um, brand awareness. Uh, we we certainly are involved in that, but spending large amounts of money trying to re- recruit um, mass amounts of drivers is is not something we do here. Where we we lean heavily on referral, so we incentivize those drivers that uh, work for us now and understand what we do, um, we invite them to, um, to tell people who maybe are unhappy where they're at or looking for an opportunity to become an owner-operator. Right. So we do entertain that as well. There's many that have been company drivers for three, four years, looking to make the leap and uh, wanting to step up and be- become a, an actual entrepreneur and um, they come in here, and we will help facilitate that and and uh, mentor them with somebody else. Because if it's a referral, we have that. We have that mentoring already set up. Yeah, it's it's part of that bonus that we pay. So we expect those people to support what we've trained, 
and to help them if they have questions as well as we obviously help them too. But it works well. Yeah. We're hearing from others in the trucking industry, experts in the industry. Terry Shaw, as I mentioned, from Manitoba Trucking was in mm-hmm. yesterday. And there seems to be a real demand for people wanting their class one. Is there a shortage of drivers out there? Maybe you don't experience that at pain, uh, but, but anecdotally, are you hearing that in your industry, uh, a shortage of drivers? I, I think, yes, there, there, it is challenging. Uh, we're, we're always challenged with here at Payne, finding enough capacity to haul what our customers want. So we, we definitely feel the pressure from um, our customers wanting us to take more freight, and we can't fulfill it because we just don't have enough equipment. Um, so it, it definitely is a concern. We, we do have an, an, an aging an aging driver, like if, if we look at our, the average age of our drivers, it's around 52 years of age. So we are always looking for that, that younger driver that, that really wants to embrace our industry, that they really want to be that long-haul driver of the future. And that's what we're trying to – when we see that come in the door and it's young, we, we hope they have the experience. We hope we can work with them and, they're, and they have the right makeup for that. So – yeah, we we know it's going to be a struggle now and in the future because we do have an aging trucker mentality. Those good, experienced old boys, they're not around forever, and we need to find replacements for that. And it can be a tough life, right? I mean, you and I were oh, chatting is. this morning on the phone about somebody says, yeah, I'm into going to Florida all the time, sure, and then a few months in they go, wow, this really takes a chunk <laughs> out of my life. yeah. It's, uh, we actually run, um, we use a tool now, we started recently, uh, uh, we use predictive index now to try to find out the behaviors before we even hire people. And we actually have a template for the perfect truck driver. Like we actually know what makes the perfect one. We've, we've tested some of our best drivers we have today. And it, it highlights how they look at risk, how they look at being by themselves, for long periods of time is what you're going to be. And there are, there are guys that fit that mold. So we're trying to actually take a little science into hiring and, and telling a guy that, you know what, based on the way you, you're not really a fit, but these are areas where we would be concerned or something you'd have to be able to accept. It sounds good, but this is what you have to be like. And uh, I hope it helps people. But yeah, it's 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 a struggle to find people that can be away from their family. The younger guys today, they really struggle with that. They really struggle with that, getting that home time, seeing the kids. Yeah, it's. I grew up in a family where my dad drove long hauls, so I I know what it's like to have a dad. That, but work was work was more important. You had to, he went to work. Yeah. And today it's a little different. There needs to be more balance with it, the younger. It, it's people. absolutely a lot different. Isn't that interesting that you go to that extent to make sure that you find the right yeah. person? Yeah. Yeah, it was a big decision. We did a lot of studying on it, and, and we're, we're pretty thrilled with that helping us. And uh, it's mandatory. I can't hire you till you do one. And it's about seven minutes, but you're going to sit down in a quiet spot, and you're going to... You're going to tell me, they, they answer some, they, they go through some words and pick out words that describe them best, and this thing figures out 
how they tick. Hmm. Uh, so they're pleasantly surprised when we read it back to them and they're like, wow. And it just, it also gives us a way of getting more of a relationship with them. We really get to connect and we want longevity here. We want guys to come here and not leave. Yeah. You, you spend too much money helping these guys learn our systems to have them leave is just counterproductive. Yeah. Uh, you know, yesterday, Terry Shaw was here from Manitoba Trucking, and, and he was talking about his confidence in the trucking industry that drivers are getting the training they need before they get behind the, the wheel yeah. of, a, of a big rig. Um, and obviously, just in a few minutes with you on the phone this morning, and then now, Thomas, I can see that at Payne, you, you pride yourselves in, in the effort you go to to find the right drivers. But do you worry about your industry? Do you worry about maybe some people out there that just got their class one? Maybe they don't have the training that you would give them at Payne, um, and, and they're driving out there. Is that a worry? Do you worry about your industry? Um. I mean, we, we, we're part of the, the Canadian Trucking Alliance. It's a very powerful organization where all the, um, the trucking associations across Canada really come together. So it's a very strong organization. So I have a lot of faith in us and in what we will accomplish uh, now and in the future because they're always looking at how to improve the industry. They, they do a great job of that. Um, yeah, it's... We've got lots of immigrants coming over and wanting to get into our industry. And we have a two-year minimum because we want them to go through the seasons. The seasons here are incredible. You can go from perfect sunny days, the nice pavement, to what we're looking at today. You're slipping and sliding everywhere. So that's why we need to cycle them through a few of, the, of, of our seasons to ensure that they really understand what it's like to, to drive in Canada and the U.S. and um, there's lots looking to work, but it's getting them that experience that, um, yeah, just that, that's, that's what they need to get. And uh, there's great training schools. So we just point them back to if they want to get into it. Like we've got um, Arnold Brothers, G- G- Gary Arnold, good, good friend of ours. I mean, they have the training schools. That's what they do, and as well as Hall Freight. So companies like that will help these guys get that experience they need. Yeah, and I ask the question because I think sometimes truckers and trucking companies and the trucking industry can get a bad rap, right? We're all in smaller yeah. cars, and sometimes yep. I, I feel like we, we focus on the negatives, and that's kind of why I wanted to have you on today, Thomas, yeah. to talk a little more about your industry and the efforts you guys go to to try and get the right people behind the wheel. Yeah, and we uh, we... Nothing like everything you get, Hal. You the clothes on your back, the 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 food you're gonna eat today, or anything. It's it's coming by truck. I mean, we can't not. This industry is here, and it has to be. It's always it's going to be here. It's going to be here forever, and we just we need to accept that. But they they have a tough life. I deal with the drivers who. Yeah, it's it's a stressful. They they get we get calls where somebody complains and we investigate and it's basically somebody's trying to take advantage of us for insurance, trying to create an accident so they can sue us. We deal with the craziest things in this industry, and uh, all these guys are trying to do is is make a living. They've chosen this, and uh, it, it is tough on them. We 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 are working on 
publicity that's positive to, to try to help the public understand the good of this industry. And I think it'll take a while, but it's definitely something the CTA is doing and the MTA, and we want the public to, to look at us in a in better light. We need, a, we need these guys. You mentioned the national organization that you're a member of, and we had on uh, this morning on Jeff Courier's show, Barry Prentice uh, with the Transport Institute at the U of M, and their discussion sort of focused on having national rules and regulations in place for the trucking industry, because even Terry Shaw yesterday from Manitoba Trucking admitted that Manitoba is a bit behind on some stuff compared to other provinces. What do you think of that idea, having sort of a national standard? I mean, a lot of these truckers are going across borders between provinces and and even countries. Yeah, I mean, and and they'll go to, they will gravitate to provinces that make it easier to get it. Um, And once they get that license, they'll move into where provinces are tougher on them. Um, So, yeah, a, a national standard would definitely be something that, um, could level the playing field, um, try to find best practices, the, the, the ones that and get some reciprocity between provinces where we work as, together to come up with the right. And I mean, we're working on it now in Saskatchewan. They're rolling out their program and Ontario has theirs already. So I think it's coming. Um, the accident last year um, in Saskatchewan has really brought to light that there needs to be some kind of standard so people actually have to be trained and be well prepared before they get in get on that road thomas i really appreciate your time today thank you for for doing this thank you thank you very much have a great weekend thomas mckee he is the vp of driver services at Payne transportation right here in winnipeg now on the phone From the Canadian Centre for Child Protection, the Director of Operations at the Centre, Karen Chimmy. Good afternoon, Karen. Hi, Karen. Hi, Al. Well, Karen, first of all, your reaction to the tragic end to this Amber Alert? It is is the most devastating end, for sure, for this family and and the friends of of the child and the family. It couldn't have ended in in a more unfortunate circumstances. I know you can't really speak to some of the issues about the Amber Alert, but maybe talk to the importance of this system. I mean, Amber Alerts and, and emergency notifications, the, the point is to disrupt something like this from happening, which unfortunately isn't what happened in this situation, but it did directly result in identifying the offender and locating the child. In in any Amber Alert situation, that the hope is to, to be able to do that um, as quickly as possible. The Amber Alert did work here. Tragic end, but it worked. It did. It did. It did work. And I think it's really concerning that there's been a lot of time spent talking about the inconvenience of being woken up from it when we had an 11-year-old who was murdered. Yeah, your reaction to some people complaining, I'm not so sure those same complaints would have went out had they known the tragic end to this. But still, it's surprising, isn't it? It is. And I, w- I would definitely hope that those complaints wouldn't have gone out if they knew the, the tragic end. The reality is we hope that every individual um, can do something when they receive an Amber Alert. And whether that's paying attention and looking or listening or at the least sending best wishes to the family, that's what we would hope 
anyone would hope if it was their child who was in danger. Um, but every person does play a critical role in looking for a child when they're in this type of danger. Karen, tell me about the Amber Alert. When an Amber Alert goes out in Ontario, as in this case, or here in Manitoba, what other provinces, what other areas get that Amber Alert? The Amber Alert, when an Amber Alert goes out, um, the police makes a decision on where the information is going to be sent based on the belief of where the child and or the abductor may be. Um, In this situation, I believe that um, it was being sent out to Ontario, but with the new system, I think some people in Manitoba received it as well. Yeah, obviously some glitches in the system uh, that they're going to have to work on. So Amber Alert, it works. We know that. What are some other ways that we use, police and and an organization like yours use, to try and find missing kids. You're right. And Amber Alert is one tool in the investigative process for sure. Um, there's also, and in, in, in Amber Alert cases, the cases need to meet a very specific criteria for an Amber Alert to be to be issued. And if that isn't the situation, or in addition to that, please have other other search methods. We also have our missing kids alert system here through um, the Canadian Centre for Child Protection that people can sign up for to receive alerts on other types of missing children's situations, Um, but the police would be doing all sorts of other investigative work to help locate the child as well. And I'm curious to know your thoughts on social media. You know, social media can be great. It can also be horrible and terrible. I would imagine that when we've got a child missing, social media can be very useful. It's extremely, extremely useful. And I think we're very, very lucky in this day and age that we have this technology where we can quickly engage the public to be on the lookout for situations where children are missing. And we can get that quick response where everyone is engaged and actively looking um, and providing information. In this case, this, this did work. And the information in terms of locating the individual involved was a direct result of that that Amber Alert, and that was used issued through technology. And you know, Karen, we have kids that go missing that we hear about through an Amber Alert, that's sort of an immediate situation, but maybe speak about some of the children missing long-term across the country and share some of the staggering numbers with us. We do have a number of long-term missing children, um, and we're actively engaged in, in that search for those missing children, and whether that's raising awareness with the public through um, through media engagement or through alerts or through um, other outreach methods. Um, we always want people paying attention and looking um, for information, reporting any information that they may believe relates to a missing child or a missing child situation. And that information can be reported directly to missingkids.ca through our toll-free line or our tips and sighting form, or it can be made to the to the law enforcement agency who's involved. Karen, thanks a lot for your time. I appreciate it. Okay, and one, can I add one thing? You bet. Okay. Um, so one thing um, that I just want to add. So I think that it's really important today that, um, that as a country, we're, we're spending time grieving over the loss of this little girl and thinking of her and her family. And that's where we're spending our energy and time today because it is an extremely tragic situation. Absolutely. Glad you made that point. Uh, thanks a lot, Karen. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you, Al. That is uh, Karen Jimmy, Director of Operations, Canadian Centre for Child Protection. Saint-B-Mega-Million-Choices.ca. Today is the ultimate bonus deadline. Man, they got some nice uh, prizes. Seven grand prizes, including $1.1 million in cold, hard cash. I just checked at that uh, website, Saint-B-Mega-Million-Choices.ca. The uh, 50-50 is over. 700 grand already. 
And uh, somebody who knows all about St. Boniface Hospital and the great things that can happen there joins me in studio now, Melissa Garlick. Melissa, nice to meet you. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. So uh, if you don't mind, tell me a bit about your history with St. Boniface Hospital. Um, was it uh, 2016, so a few years ago? 2017. Was it yeah. 2017 when it happened? It was. So it was January 2017 that I was walking into a restaurant, and uh, unfortunately they did not have a policy in place to remove the snow from the sign above the door. Yeah. And uh, it was a really nice day that day, and when I opened the door, all the snow from the sign fell onto my head. Um, and so I went to go see my doctor and at that point she was just working with me with my, um, whiplash that I had from it. Yeah. And, uh, I went back to her, um, a couple of weeks later and said, you know what? I'm really dizzy. Something's not right. Yeah. Throwing up. Um, just, I didn't feel right. And, uh, so after me complaining about being nauseous for, you know, a while, mm-hmm. they'd started doing scans of my stomach. They were checking me for Lyme disease. Um, and so finally I went to the hospital cause my symptoms had started progressing to having trouble with speaking, having trouble walking. All that from some snow falling on your head. Yeah. And so when I went to the hospital, the doctor said, why are you not treating your concussion? And that was the first time I had heard that word. Wow. And so she printed me off some information about concussions. Um, and so I was able to. Uh, find out exactly what was going on with me, find out that it was uh, considered a mild traumatic brain injury, and then find the doctors to help me get back on the right track. Yeah, and that was Dr. McCall that uh, diagnosed you with post-concussion syndrome. It was, yes. And at St. B. It was, and what's so nice about her is, like, I went back a year later to tell her what she had done for me because I was in such shock that I had a diagnosis that I didn't even tell her that I had no idea what was wrong with me. Right. And so I went back a year later and she was so kind to me. We exchanged email addresses and she said, if you ever need anything, reach out to me. So she's really been there for me. Yeah. I've certainly had wonderful experiences with the people at St. Boniface Hospital as well. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And that's why, you know, these hospital lotteries are so important because it is a way for you to give because we can't expect yes. government to fund it all. Right. And this is our way to give and at the same time have a chance to win some great prizes. Really great prizes. Really great prizes. Yeah. So this has so far taken two years of your life. Where are you at today with this? How are you feeling? So I had to go to vision therapy to my eyes um, started not working properly. Uh, so after a year and a half, I have passed that. But I'm still having some issues with the dizziness and getting nauseous. Um, So I go to Love Your Brain Yoga, which is a nice free program that's offered. Um, And I started seeing an osteopath recently. So we found out I don't have enough blood flow going to my brain. So she's Mm. working on that. Um, I see a chiropractor neurologist that's been helping me. So lots of different steps that you have to go through. And with brain injuries, something that might work for one person doesn't work for the other. Sure. And so uh, just navigating through that. But if I look back to two years ago, I've come a long way. Mm-hmm. So concussions are treatable and I will get there. It's just taking some time. Yeah. And, and, and even, you know, bizarre circumstances like this, yes. you found yourself in a lot of pain and then all these other symptoms. Um, you know, I often say this as well. And that's why it's important to have stories like yours, I think, on the radio is because 
we sometimes go through life thinking we're invincible and nothing's going to happen to us. And then yes. something weird like this happens to you. And as you just said to me off air, it's taken two years of your life. It has. And it's like been such a huge eye opener. It's changed me as a person as well. Because yeah. if you asked me two years ago what my hobbies were, it would have been, you know, working and going out with friends for drinks and stuff. And so yeah. you kind of lose that identity as well because yeah. I can't do those things right now. Right. And so I took up walking now that I can use my legs again. Yeah. I, I'm so blessed to mm. have them. I'm thankful for them. Yeah. So I do a lot of walking and I took up photography just for fun because it's nice to walk and you have the visual aspect for right. therapy mm-hmm. in a more fun way. Yeah, yeah. So brain injuries are are tricky, right? They are. I mean, I'm you're experiencing it. You know it. I've talked to other people that have brain injuries, concussions, uh, and issues like this, and it really does rob you of so many things. You become, yeah. as you said, you become a different person, don't you? A different person, and also like it's an invisible injury. So a lot of people also you look fine, right? You yeah. look fine. You look fine. What's yeah. your problem? Right. And so you lose friends along the way too, but you also meet some really fantastic people out there that are, yeah. you know, my support system and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, helping me get through this. Yeah. Well, I think it's wonderful that you're telling your story in hopes of encouraging people that hear your story to buy a ticket, buy two, yes. uh, you know, buy as many as you can afford, have some fun with it. You may win some great prizes. I mean, how, who wouldn't want to win $1.1 million <laughs> cash, one of seven, yeah, <laughs> one of seven grand prizes. And so I think it's fantastic that you're doing this today. And as I said, after the news at three and just about an hour from now, less than an hour from now, we're going to talk to our Greg Mackling, who is out there trying to sell tickets uh, as well today. And I'll just, again, put the website out there. If you want to go and uh, get your tickets, you can do that at the uh, website. Again, it's stbmegamillionchoices.ca. St. B. Mega Million Choices.ca. Uh, Melissa, thanks for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Thanks a lot. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.